Hello and welcome to this special year ahead edition of On Point, a podcast series where we explore the post-pandemic economy and the biggest themes and events shaping the outlook in 2022. I'm Imogen Bakra, European Rate Strategist at NatWest Markets, and I'm joined today by Ross Walker, Kevin Cummins and Giovanni Sani, our team of economists, to talk about savings and a role that they might play in the recovery. Savings have increased a lot during the pandemic, in part because people just couldn't spend. And now that things are normalizing, it's assumed that saving behaviors will normalize too. So Giovanni, we see a lot about the potential for savings boosting demand um, in a lot of official speeches. But what are we really talking about in terms of the size? How much could this actually boost GDP growth? And over what period are we thinking about this? Uh, Thanks, Imogen. Well, I, I certainly agree with the uh, idea that uh, you know the saving dynamics are a key feature of any projections of uh, activity over the next two or three years, let's say. Um, and, and, and you know to define the impact, the size of the potential impact and the timing, I think we need to distinguish between two different FX uh, impacts of, of, of the savings uh, dynamics. The first one is the flow. And by that, I mean uh, the fact that the saving rate out of uh, household income is still very high. So the normalization of this uh, rate uh, from current levels to the steady state uh, level will uh, by itself uh, already boost GDP and consumption by quite a lot. Uh, And this is happening relatively fast. I mean, in the US is quite advanced. Uh, for the euro area, we're still a, a little bit behind, but um, I, I think that in the course of 2022, so over the next year or so, we will have the, the biggest normalization on that side. And if you look at the numbers of the selling rate right now and what is the steady state, we're talking about between five and six uh, points of consumption to be added, let's say, over the next year or so. Um, the other impact, which is the stock, what I call the stock uh, effect, which, which is basically what is going to happen to the um, uh, stock of excess savings that has been accumulated during the pandemic. Uh, well, how this is going to be used, spent, the timing, it's, it's much more controversial. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, there were studies uh, suggesting that it could be very small, below 5% or up to 40%. Uh, since then, we had a lot of surveys uh, discussing um, uh, and looking and asking questions in a lot of different uh, jurisdictions, and we, uh, you know, we came to something that was close to twenty percent, thirty percent as a benchmark. And the amount of savings, for example, again, the euro area. My colleagues will talk about the, the other areas as well, but for the euro area, this is worth. 10 percentage point of uh, household income again. So if you take 20% of that, it's another two percentage point over the next, let's say, two or three years will be my my estimate. So if you combine the two, uh, you have around, let's say, eight points of consumption to be added to the normal dynamics of consumption growth, et cetera, uh, with the biggest impact, I would say, next year and with also remaining impact in 2023 and maybe 2024. What about in the US then, Kevin? Is that, you know, are we expecting a, a similar impact over a similar time frame? Yeah, the um, the recovery in the US has been a, a little quicker uh, as far as the, the snapback in activity um, amongst consumers. 
you know, we saw a really strong growth rate in the second quarter. Um, as far as what Giovanni correctly pointed out with regard to uh, the current level of savings in the U.S. is running right around 9% as of the third quarter of this year. And, and just to put that into a frame of reference, you know, pre-COVID, the longer run trend in the saving rate was around 7% or so. So, you know, I think in the fourth quarter uh, heading into COVID, you were at like seven and a quarter. So you're almost about two percentage points um, still above uh, where you were in, in you know, the, the longer run trend there. So, you know, excess savings is probably somewhere north of $2 trillion uh, here in the U.S. Um, and, you know, as long as that saving rate is remaining above the long run trend, that's continuing to move higher. And if you even add in, you know, capital gains, it's probably a significant amount more. So I think, you know, that their households are in a very strong position uh, to continue to spend for a substantial amount of time here in the U.S., even though we saw a lot of the saving rate uh, come back down, you know, it was as high as the mid-20s uh, as far as the percentage of disposable income. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's right. I think it's fair and, and it's a reasonable assumption to think that, you know, the saving rate uh, coming down uh, into 2022 is likely um, so we have very strong consumption growth in, into early next year um, of, of about three and a half percent top line GDP and, and consumption. So, you know, it, it certainly seems like the flow effect is, is the, you know, as, as Gio pointed out, you know, not very controversial. Um, the stock effect, you know, that that's, uh, as, as he said, suggested some of the survey data weren't suggesting that dramatic of an increase uh, for the U.S. Like, for example, the New York Fed came out with a survey saying about 25 percent of the economic payments potentially could get spent uh, based on a survey, they said. But, you know, I, I point out that so much of this was for savings and that, you know, as um, as things begin to you know move into next year and we move past COVID, hopefully, you know, people, there's a lot of pent up demand and a lot of uh, pent up, you know, things on travel and, and food services and in-person services that are likely to get spent. And, you know, if you look at the percentage of consumption right now versus where it was pre-pandemic, you're about 9% or so above where you were um, at, you know, back in the fourth quarter of 19. Uh, but most of that is all in goods consumption, about 25% increase. And, and services is only a little bit above 3.5%. So I think that's where we're going to see most of the spending is on the service side in the U.S. What about in the U.K. then, Ross? Is there a distinction to be made there about the kind of distribution of savings that we see and, and the ways in which that might be spent down? So the savings data in the U.K. in aggregates are very similar to the numbers Kevin and Giovanni were discussing for the US and, and Euro area, uh, we estimate that the excess household savings stock is around 150 billion pounds, close to 10% of household disposable income. But of course, the key feature is the highly uneven distribution of that saving. Um, for that, we, we rely on some survey data. Uh, what the surveys tend to show is that if you Take the bottom fifth of households, the lowest income group, uh, probably their savings, net savings have fallen during the, the pandemic. For the second lowest income group, savings overall appear to be flat during the pandemic. But that means that probably about two thirds of UK households have seen some increase in their, their stock of saving uh, money sitting in 
in bank accounts. And we estimate that for the median income UK household, uh, that figure is probably in the region of one or even £2,000 of additional savings. So whilst that may not be deployed immediately, providing a, an upfront boost to household consumption, uh, it does tend to strengthen our confidence that the sustainability of the recovery and consumer demand uh, can uh, continue, uh, that this will provide a, an ongoing support for UK households in the face of what in the coming year uh, will be a, a significant squeeze on real disposable income in the face of rising inflation, uh, tax rises, and of course, interest rate rises in the UK. That brings me nicely on to my next question then for you, Giovanni, that we hear a lot about this kind of apparent fiscal cliff that's waiting for, for us after this kind of pandemic binge, if you like, on, on fiscal policy. Is this something that, that we should be worried about? I guess the key question, well, for this whole um, podcast really is, can we be saved by savings? I think we can. Uh, and I'll explain actually before talking about uh, the, the the savings compensation from the for the fiscal cliff. I, I'd like to, you know, define a bit more the, the, what you said in terms of apparent fiscal cliff, because um, what we need to say first is that when you look at the um, usual uh, fiscal metrics, it seems that we are reducing the fiscal support quite a lot in, from 2022 uh, after the the big. Uh, a binge of, of 2020-2021. In reality, some of that reduction is uh, mechanical in the sense that it's not real uh, just because uh, you know, the, the normal activity uh, replaces what was uh, the support of, of the, the, the government of, of public spending doesn't mean that we are talking about subtracting uh, you know, resources to uh, to the economic system. It's just a, a, like a mechanical substitution. The other point, which is minor and it's more related to the euro era, but it's interesting as well, I think, and it's the fact that um, in the numbers that you see, uh, fiscal numbers that are based on national numbers, you don't have the impact of the EU recovery fund, which is uh, acting below the line. So there is an additional support that, by the way, will be long-lasting, at least for the next five years. And so the real fiscal cliff is smaller. But so these are just you know, a few elements to describe the fiscal cliff. But, but then the, the key question is, yes, that savings are, in fact, if you, if you look at them uh, you know, carefully, they are a, a delayed fiscal impact of the big fiscal boost that we had in the past two years, because the reality is that the fiscal boost has not been spent, I mean, has not been all spent during the past two years. So it's still there in the system with a kind of slow release uh, of the uh, of the stimulus. And um, that's why, you know, I, I was talking before about seven, eight points uh, of disposable income available to boost consumption over the next uh, two to three years. Uh, relative to that, and I mentioned the euro area, uh, again, uh, the, the fiscal cliff is of around two to three percentage points, uh, including all this, you know, uh, apparent element that I mentioned. So it's actually even smaller. So as you can see, yes, we'll be more than saved by, by, by savings. 
Thinking in the UK then, Ross, because that's one of the first major economies to actually announce a fiscal tightening measures. What impact do you think that will have? And I guess relating that to monetary policy too, what impact do you think that that could have on bank rate? You know, there's been a lot of guidance recently that that rates will rise very soon. But how far do you think that that they could really go? So the UK fiscal position is a a little more complicated Um, in Aggregate, overall, the the fiscal stance remains accommodative. The UK will continue to run cyclically adjusted primary deficits, 2 to 4% of GDP over the next few years. So fiscal policy is still supportive, but clearly less so uh, than during the pandemic, when, of course, fiscal policy was deployed in a, a much more expansive way. The further complication, however, in the UK is... It relates to specific policy measures. So, for example, households and businesses will face a material rise in taxation in the coming years. Uh, For households, there is a national insurance, in effect, an income tax rise coming in April 2022. And then a year down the line, uh, further income tax increases for the corporate sector, the same national insurance increase, and then a sharp rise in corporation tax in spring 2023. So for for households, for businesses, for the private sector in general, uh, the headwinds are, are more apparent than perhaps what was planned a year or so ago. But against that, uh, and as we saw in the October 2021 budget, uh, the government did announce additional provisions for higher public spending. Uh, And in the coming year, 2022 and the following year, that fiscal boost we estimate to be uh, worth around 1% of GDP per year. So a number of moving parts on the fiscal side, but I think in aggregate, you would say there is an overall accommodative policy setting. And I think the BOE will, will certainly view fiscal policy in that context, and therefore this will tend to reinforce their their confidence about raising interest rates, their their perceived need to raise rates. And so we expect the first UK interest rate rise to come in the early part of 2022 in February. There is a risk it comes a little bit sooner in December. And for that to be the first of a series of modest rises, taking bank rates up to around 75 basis points by the end of of 2022. The risks around that scenario uh, are probably slightly to the upside if, among other things, consumers were to uh, deploy that savings stock um, more more extensively, uh, or if we were to see larger fiscal multipliers, that might force the BOE uh, to deliver a little bit more by way of, of monetary tightening. But on our estimates, taking bank rates up to 75 basis points by the end of 2022 should be sufficient to lower inflation by just over half a percentage point. In other words, to, to take out what we see today in terms of the, the overshoot in, in domestically generated inflation alongside the, the natural unwinding of some of the, the energy and global cost pressures, which are, are evident today, which will come away with base effects over the course of next year. What about in the US then, Kevin? Does your view on savings kind of shape how you're thinking about the potential for an earlier liftoff from the Fed? Yeah, it does. In, in the fact that uh, one of the key reasons I think um, that we think inflation will stay elevated and we're going to see this persistent overshoot of the Fed's uh, goal on the inflation side 
is, is that you know demand is going to continue to exceed supply. So, you know, with all this you know reservoir of of uh, of, of savings able to spend out over this substantial period, you know, our, our forecast for inflation is going to probably remain closer to 3% than the Fed's estimate of going down closer to 2%. So, you know, it does uh, certainly add some risk to pull forward liftoff. Um, I don't think they're, as, as of now, ready to really turn to, until they finish the taper, turn to, to rate hikes per se. Um, but I think at the margin, this does uh, put some risk that the the rate the Fed could start to hike rates um, sometime in 22. We have it in the fourth quarter. Um, I think the Fed's going to have to do a lot towards their communication with regard to FATE, the flexible average inflation targeting, um, because that was really designed at a period of, of below 2% inflation. And obviously, inflation is well past that now. So um, I do think that they'll probably abandon that sort of approach. Um, and focus more on the inflation side. And, and that's a direct relation to um, how much consumption we're likely to see. And I guess a similar question to you, Jay, but perhaps we should be asking, will the ECB ever raise rates rather than are there risks of, of earlier rate hikes? The, the situation in terms of savings and, and stronger activity that, that we expect is clearly uh, a driver also of uh, of uh, higher inflation, slightly higher inflation, I would say, in the case of the euro area relative to what we're seeing in the US. Uh, I mean, the, the, the support to, to activity has been also smaller, and so that, that's one of the reasons. Uh, at the same time, we know that with the strategy review, the ECB has gone even further in, a, in this journey towards a more dovish uh, central bank. The ECB has missed for so many years, its inflation target has changed the inflation target towards something that it's uh, slightly higher, more symmetric, um, and it's a little bit still, uh, you know, reacting to this um, situation where they are very close to the uh, effective lower bound. And so, I mean, my interpretation is that although the ECB is still, uh, you know, dovish for longer and, and more than markets uh, are, are, are pricing, are expecting, uh, it, it is also clear for the, for the, for the euro area that uh, the possibility, the, the probability of the rate hike has moved a little bit closer. So uh, we definitely don't see a rate hike in 2022, to be fair, not even in 2023. Um, yeah, my, my first port of call will be 2024, given the underlying inflation dynamics that we expect and given also you know, related to this stronger, still stronger than consensus expectation for, uh, for GDP growth over the next uh, two or three years. All right, everyone, thank you for joining me today. And to our listeners, I hope that you enjoyed today's special episode of On Point. To get more insight into the year ahead, navigate to ci.natwest.com forward slash year ahead and follow us on social media, or feel free to get in touch with any of us via Bloomberg or email. 